Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is taken from our Strong in Grace series, which walks through Ephesians chapter 6. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, Ephesians chapter 6 today, we are going to uh, jump right back into our series that we've been in, really a new series that we're starting, and I'll talk about that in just a minute. But let me ask you as we start today, have you ever been around people who uh, they are consistently offering you advice and instruction? They're the people who say this to you, oh, here's what you need to do. How many of you know somebody like that? Okay, almost everybody's hand should be up if you know me. Because this is my description. They're the people that, uh, I mean, honestly, I know a lot of people like this and like myself. You're not trying to be bossy. You're just kind of, you're just fixers. Most men are fixers. I had a, a lady this week, she said to me, she said, you know, I, I want to talk to my husband about this, but he's just a fixer. And she said, I just know that he's just going to fix it, you know? And I was like, well... Sorry, you got to talk to him about it, you know, and uh, man, men are fixers and I know this is my life and I say, if you have never been around somebody who's a fixer and says, well, here's what you need to do, tell me and we'll go to coffee and I'll be that person and then you can raise your hand if I ever ask that question again. But um, I know that in my life, there have been times when people have been that to me, they've been the one that has said, hey, here's what you need to do and I didn't listen. You ever have somebody like that? You ever had it happen where they said, hey, here's what you need to do, and you didn't want to admit it, but you found out later that they were completely right, and you had to kind of go back and eat some humble pie. Yeah, I've had that happen one time, (laughs) just once. No, we have that happen often, don't we? And I can think of plenty of times in, in our marriage when uh, Hannah has said, well, babe, here's what, here's what you need to do. And I'm like, no, 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 I got this, I got this. And she's like, no, I really think this would be wiser. And I'm like, no, you, we're good. You don't know, I got this. <laughs> like our first year of marriage. I think I've told the story before, but our first year of marriage, we, after we got married, I was serving on staff there in, in Lakewood for my dad. Uh, it was actually the second year. It was the first year out of Bible college and uh, serving on staff there. I wasn't making much money, and she said, hey, babe, we should start saving money. And I said, well, honey, we don't have any money to save. And she's like, no, like, even if we just put away like $5 a week, you know, let's just start saving money. And I said, no, like, I, we don't have money to save. Like, we'll be all right. I said, here's what we'll do. And this was, she didn't, she didn't work or get paid by the church, and this is an, a huge amount. I said, I'm going to give you $20 a week. That's, that's what I can, we can afford to give. That, that was like... Hannah's allowance because she wasn't working at the time or anything. Of course, we had little kids. And I said, that's all we can afford, 20 bucks a week. At Christmas, the following year, she walked in and she gave me a glass piggy bank with $1,000 in it. Now, if you do the math, there's 52 weeks in a year. She only spent $40 of the $1,040 that I gave her that year. And she put it in front of me and she said, hey, this is, uh, I, this is my savings from the year. In that moment, I wish I could say that I was like, you're awesome. That's so cool. 
But in that moment, I wasn't like that. In that moment, I was like, what? You didn't spend the money on you? And I got upset. And she looked at me and she's like, a tear welled up in her eye. You'd think I would have stopped, but I didn't. I was like, I gave this to you to spend and you're supposed to spend this. And she looked at me and she said, I did this for us and for our family. You think I still would have stopped. Hey, many of you know I'm stubborn. And in that moment, I took that, I took that pig and I set it down. I was like, no, no, you're not allowed to do this. Right then, that tear went right back up into that eye duct, and she just went, excuse me? That's when I stopped. Yeah, smart, yeah. <clears throat> and I remember, I remember I apologized for that. But you know what? In that moment, I was like, babe, I'm sorry. I should have, I should have listened to you because we could save. And here I am eating humble pie as a jerk husband, and still to this day, Still to this day, there's times when that story gets brought up and you know how I feel? Like that big. Like even me telling you that, it's comical, but I feel like a moron. I wish I would have just listened. Hey, babe, you, you need to hear this. We, we could save money. We need to save money. No, we can't do that. Man, I wish I would have just listened that first year. And I think some things would have gone a little bit better that second year and third year had I just listened that first year. This morning, we're going to jump right back into our series in the book of Ephesians. If you've been with us in our study, Paul, he's been writing to the believers at Ephesus. If you know the story, 10 years earlier, Paul had been in the city of Ephesus. He had started a church telling people about Jesus Christ and the promise that is in Jesus and the salvation that is offered only by the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. And so Paul started this church. Well, fast forward 10 years later, he's sitting in a prison cell in Rome awaiting a trial before Nero, not knowing what's going to take place. And yet he writes to the believers in Ephesus. And what he writes to them, the book, we've kind of summarized it into a couple of thoughts. But the the main thought is Paul writes about the incredible grace of God the strength that God has for you. And we've categorized it into three sections. The the first section is the truth that God is rich in grace. He's rich in grace. What does that mean? It means that God is never going to run on empty for strength or grace in your life. Hey, aren't you thankful that God never says, oh, sorry, can't help with that. Oh, I'm running on E today. Sorry, can't do that. I've had friends I've called, hey, can you do this, run this errand? They're like, man, I don't have any gas in my car. Hey, God never says, hey, I'm sorry, there's no grace here anymore. No, God is rich in grace. And so we took the first uh, eight weeks of our, our study in Ephesians, and we studied out how God is rich in grace. But then Paul, he kind of shifts gears a little bit. He stays on the topic of grace, but he writes about the idea of walking in grace. What does that mean? It means living every day with God's strength in our life. It means Ephesians chapter five, verse number one, be ye followers of God as dear children. Hey, imitate, walk in, live in his steps and his strength. And man, as you and I follow God, God uses uh, um, that fellowship to bring grace into our life. 
He brings strength into our life. And we, we went through a whole series with that, I believe five weeks that we spent on the idea of being rich in grace. Well, this morning for the next few weeks, we're gonna wrap up the study because Paul again changes a little bit of the thought, stays on the subject of grace, but now he talks about being strong in grace and understanding not only do you need to live every day in grace, but you can be strong in grace. We're gonna learn more about that today because what Paul helps us with is Paul becomes that person. Paul becomes that one individual that's sitting across the table from you that says, what you need to do, what you need to know is, and he gives us some thoughts as we begin to understand what it means to live strong in grace. Paul sits us down at the, at the coffee table. We're sitting in a coffee shop with Paul and he says, hey, what you need to know, here's what you need to do. And the question that I kind of want to bring up to us today as we get into it is, are we going to be the person who ignores the advice and the encouragement and says, no, 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 I got this. No, we don't need to save. No, 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 I've got this. And then look back with regret or today will we be the person that listens with open ears to say, okay, Paul, what do I need to know? Okay, Paul, what do I need to do? Notice what Paul says with me today, Ephesians chapter six. Let's stand together as we look into our passage today. Ephesians chapter six. Beginning in verse number 10, Paul writes these words. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Verse number 10, Paul uses the word finally. He's kind of saying, hey, as I close my letter out, there's something else you need to know. We're gonna discover what that something else is today. And so let's pray and ask God to help us as Paul encourages us in what we need. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you take just a minute and in the quietness just of the moment of your own heart, would you just pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me today. And then would you commit to him, God, if you speak to me, I'm, I'm gonna listen to you. And God, would you help me respond to you today? Dear Lord, we come before you. We thank you for the word of God. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for the time of worship this morning. We're so grateful for your faithfulness. Thankful for the strength that you give to us. Thankful for the, uh, the love that you have in our lives and the desire that you have to speak to us. And so Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning. Help us to learn from you. Help us to listen to you. Father, I pray that you'd be with the words that I say and the, uh, the actions that I have, Lord, that today would completely point us and direct us to you and the strength that you want us to have each and every day. We love you and we thank you for your love and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. 
before we really get the, uh, the, the subject of these three verses, I, I want us to understand the, the definition when Paul says, finally, my brethren. That phrase, finally, it, it can mean in conclusion. It would be, you know, hey, there's just one last quick thought. Maybe you would say something like that. But it, in actuality, it's a, it's a bit deeper than just, well, as I close, it's a little deeper than that. The word finally in the Greek, it carries with it this thought. This is kind of a lengthy definition of this word. It would be him saying, as I finish out, I have a pertinent or a very important critical piece of advice, critical thought to give to you. So it's not just in conclusion. It's like finally, hey, okay, listen, I've told you a lot of things, but I have, I have something else that is so important that if you've missed everything else, don't miss this thought because you need to know this. You need to do some things and believers at Ephesus, believers in Moses Lake, I wanna give you something that you have to know. And then for the next eight to 10 verses, Paul writes probably one of the most famous passages in all of scripture. Because Paul writes about what we would call spiritual warfare. Here's what Paul gets to. We'll just kind of summarize it real quick. Paul gets to the subject at at hand that is you and I, once you trust Christ as Savior, and even before that, there is a spiritual war going on that you cannot see. And you and I as Christians, if you know Christ as your Savior and you're a follower of Jesus, you need to be reminded, I need to be reminded regularly that we are at war. That's the, and that's a, I don't know about you, but that seems like a very uh, uh, um, dense subject, doesn't it? I mean, it's a heavy subject saying, hey, we are at war. You need to know this. But here's what Paul is going to help us with over the course of the next couple of weeks. Not only are we at war, but it's not somebody else fighting this war. No, no, no. You are in it. You're in the war. Now, we live in the United States, and I'm so thankful for our country. I love the freedoms that we have. I, I don't agree with all of the uh, directions and decisions of our country, as do none of us. But the fact of the matter is, there are times when, in our country that, that we go to war. And we know, well, we're at war. But there's only a handful of Americans really in the war. Does that make sense? While we're at war, there's only a handful in the war. On the plane ride yesterday coming home, the gentleman I sat next to just from Seattle to Spokane, that last flight, uh, he he served 15 years in the military and was was, uh, medically discharged and just had a great career and uh, shared with me about his three tours over in Iraq when we were in that, that war. And I, I just sat there and listened. I said, man, thank you so much for serving. And I, I, can't, I, I can't connect with that. Now, I can connect with him in the sense of, of trauma and counseling. I, I do that, counseling people through trauma and all of that. But I can't say I understand because I don't. I have never been to war. Now, some of you have. So, Pastor, why are you bringing this up? Because there's a difference of knowing we're at war and knowing you're in the war. And if you're breathing in and out right now, looking around, nobody's tapped out. If you're breathing in and out right now, you're in this war. And so Paul sits us down at the coffee table and he says, hey, listen, finally, I've, 
I've got, I've got one thing to tell you. I've, it's, this is super important, so don't miss it. And Paul begins to speak to us about the importance, the significance of the war that we are involved in. I want you to take your Bibles today. I want you to notice just a few simple thoughts that Paul brings to light regarding the war that we're in. The first thing that Paul helps us understand about this war is that we are powerless. We are powerless. Notice the verse in verse number 10 when Paul says these words. Finally, brethren, be strong in yourself and in the power of your own might. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. No, Paul says to us, hey, you're powerless. you're You're in a war, so be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He doesn't say to tap into your own inner strength. Listen, God, uh, God through Paul to us doesn't say you just need self-help. He doesn't say the strength is in you to overcome. He doesn't say any of the many hundreds of cliches that we could get that our culture says, just be you, be strong in yourself, be happy with who you are, be strengthened by who you are. Be... Paul doesn't say that. Why? Because we're powerless. We're powerless in the war. And the reason he doesn't say be strong in you is because the Christian has no strength. And the admonition that Paul gives indicates that our enemy, who we're going to see more about in just a minute, he is a strong enemy. And if you and I are going to stand against the enemy, we've got to realize we cannot stand in our own strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. This idea to be strong in the Lord, it basically just means don't lean on your own strength. Don't don't desire to be strengthened by you. Instead, be empowered or strengthened by the Lord and in the powerful strength of his mighty powerfulness. That's what the verse means. You ever run out of adjective when you have you ever ran out of adjectives when you're trying to describe something? Like you just don't know what to say. You're trying to say, I mean, I, I was talking with somebody just recently about our trip to Yosemite National Park. And as Pastor Skelly, he's never been to Yosemite National Park. I was super surprised. And we were talking about it, and I, he, he said, Well, how's your trip? And I said, Man, I was like, Yosemite is just it. And Kurt, it's just, it, it's amazing. Like it's, it's majestic. It's, it's, how many of you have been to Yosemite? It's one of those places, like you're in it, you're in one of the valleys and you're looking around and you're seeing the different mountains all there. And you're, you're thinking of just the vast beauty. I didn't have, I didn't have the word. I didn't have the adjectives to describe how incredible the one particular moment that I'm thinking of as I stood in a valley and saw Half Dome, I mean, just majestic up there. And I'm thinking to myself, man, my God created that. There's no adjectives to describe it. That's a, that's just a, a little bit about what Paul is saying in this verse. 
Because here's what Paul says when he says it, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Literally in the Greek, there's not a lot of words that describe these words. Be, be strong, be, be, be enabled, be empowered by the Lord and the mighty power of his powerful mightiness. That's what power and might mean in the verse. Paul's running out of adjectives. Well, why is he running out of adjectives? Because he wants us to help us understand that while we are weak, God is almighty. And you and I, we are weak and powerless in this warfare, but God is not. And God truly is a God that has all strength. And the fact of the matter is the whole book of Ephesians has been Paul writing to the believer saying, stop trying to live life on your own. Because you are powerless. The challenge given to us then is that we don't have strength in this battle. We need to receive his strength. We are at war and yet we are powerless in this war. And the believer should never underestimate the power of the devil, our enemy, because he is, listen, he is more powerful than you in and of yourself. In scripture, the devil is not compared to a lion and a dragon just because. No, they're trying to describe the strength that the devil has. And we'll see this in just a minute. But here's what Paul is saying. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Why? He's stronger. You and I, we are powerless, but God is all powerful. Aren't you thankful we serve an infinite, powerful God? I love how the psalmist said it in Psalm 50 in verse number one. He said, the mighty God, even the Lord hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Hey, your God is so powerful that he literally controls the movement of the sun. He set it in place. Isaiah chapter nine and verse number six, one of the names given to Jesus Christ, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulders and what his name shall be called the wonderful counselor, the what? The mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Hey, all throughout scripture, authors point to the power of God. Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, which in his time, Speaking of Jesus, he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the only only one with power, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. You see, all throughout Scripture, every author points to the strength that is in our God. So we need to receive the challenge. Be strong in the Lord. Hey, don't lean on your own strength. Lean into his strength. Well, how do I lean into God's strength? Well, I keep learning of him. I keep following him. I keep trying and working at imitating him. I keep seeking him. I listen to him. What does it have to do? It just has to do with a relationship of growth with God. In my life, I lean into the strength of God by having that humble heart that says, God, I can't do this, so teach me through your word how you want me to follow you. God, I can't live all of this out, and so teach me through your word the decisions of the day, the directions of the day. That is simply saying, God, I'm not leaning into my own strength, but I'm going to lean into yours. 
A few principles that Paul teaches us about this warfare. Number one, we are powerless, but God is all powerful. Number two, we, in this war, we are unequipped. We are unequipped. Not only are we powerless in this warfare, but we are also unprepared and completely unfit. We are weak and poor. We are powerless and empty-handed. I love this. We are the peasant villagers picking up rocks and sticks while the enemy is in fighter jets and tanks. We have nothing. We we can't stand against them. Someone says, well, you've never seen what I could do with a rock or a stick. Well, you've never seen what I could do with a tank. That's the thought that sometimes when we try to lean into our own strength, when we try to endeavor in the spiritual warfare against our enemy with our resources, we will always come up empty. And so Paul writes these words, put on. In this warfare, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. That phrase, put on, the two words, it means to sink into, to be comfortable with, or embrace the whole armor, the entire armor of God. Now, we're going to look at the armor of God over the course of the next two weeks. We'll break it up into two weeks as Paul writes about the armor and different, uh, the characteristics that the armor goes with and the way that we can learn to put on the armor of God. But in this simple verse, put on the whole armor of God, Paul is simply saying, hey, you need to recognize that you are unequipped. You don't have the resources, but God has the resources. One thing that stood out to me though about this verse is the word that. Put on the whole whole armor of God, that. That word, that, it means so that or in order to. So here's what Paul says. Put on the whole armor of God so, so that in order that you would be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And what are the wiles of the devil? The the word wiles in this verse, it simply means the, the cunningness or the craftiness or the trickery. Hey, you need God's resources. I need God's resources. Why? Because the devil doesn't play fair. The devil doesn't fight fair. The devil's very cunning. The devil is very crafty. The devil is very tricking. Is that a word? Tricking? He tricks you. I made it up right now. We just were going with it. The devil does this, and so we have to understand that when we are equipped, when we lean into the resources that God has, the armor of God, we have the real ability to stand against or to resist, to see, and to actually navigate through the trickery or the the wiles of the devil. Now, Again, we're going to focus and work our way through the specific uh, armor pieces over the course of the next few weeks. But I want us to understand this morning that we need God's resources overall if we're going to effectively know the attacks of the enemy. Because we are up against a wise and cunning and sneaky enemy. And Paul challenged the believers at Corinth to, we cannot be ignorant of his devices. What does the devil do? Well, he masquerades as an angel of light. 
He seeks to blind people from the truth of God's word. Paul will say we wrestle not, bringing, bringing uh, the, the thought to the table that we are actually in hand-to-hand combat with the devil. That he's, we, this, this is a wrestling match going on. And Satan, you know what he wants to do? He wants to use anything. The devil wants to use anything he can to defeat you. But he wants to use anything he can to get you off of the fellowship of God, to get you off of that road. You see, we should never underestimate the craftiness of our enemy. But there's a few Christians, and if we're honest, all of us have been there, that we underestimate him. I think that sometimes many Christians picture the devil as the coyote off of the old run, 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 road runner. You guys remember Wile E. Coyote? He always got caught in his own traps, right? He would always get, he would always blow himself up. He'd strap himself to dynamite. He would be the one that would put a sign out and the sign said, you know, turn here, but then there would be a, a roadblock or something like that. And Roadrunner never, never was tricked. And Wile E. Coyote always fell for his own tricks. You know, some Christians think the devil's stupid. I, I know people, and you probably do too, they'll say things like this, you know, well, bring it on, devil. Well, bring it on, Satan. And it's that mindset of, I've got this. Now, if it's, man, devil, go ahead, attack God. Have at it. I'm all for that because he's all powerful, right? But we should never have the mindset that, well, the devil, he's just, you know, he's, he's kind of stupid. He's not. He's crafty. He's cunning. And you know what the devil wants to do? The devil wants to trick you and deceive you. And he is a professional at the task of attacking believers. Think about this. How many believers do you know? How many Christians do you know who have been, if I can say it, who have been kind of put on the shelf because they got their focus They got consumed with some of the silliest and craziest things and they missed the most important things. How many Christians do you know that they get so consumed with life and they miss what matters? You know, Paul is saying, he's saying, don't lean into your own resources. Don't lean into your own thinking. No, You need to put on the whole armor of God. You need to be equipped. You need to get his resources. You need to lean into his word. You need to uh, navigate life with his thoughts because you are unequipped, but God has all resources. So many Christians get so confused and miss, miss the point. So many Christians think that work is more important than God and than family. Christians think, well, I don't, I don't really need the word of God. Sunday's good enough. Christians think, well, I, I think I've got this. I mean, I don't need other believers. I don't need church. Christians think, well, you know what? Uh, it's, it's okay to put sports up there. I mean, it's just, one, it's just one season. Well, the kids' schedule, you know, the kids are really busy. So there's just not time for things of the Lord. Hey, you know what the devil's doing? He's tricking you. 
He's tricking you. Why? Because he's crafty. So what do I need? I need the thoughts of God. I need the armor of God so that I can realize that we are unequipped, but he has all of the resources. Paul's saying, hey, listen up. I've got, I've got something that you need to know today. And, and here's what you need to know. We are at war. So here's a couple thoughts about the war. Number one, remember that we are powerless, but he is all powerful. You are weak, but he is strong. Remember that we are unequipped. We don't have the tools that we need to go through life because the devil is tricky, but God has all the resources. And then Paul gets on this thought that we are easily distracted. We are easily distracted. Notice verse 12. Paul says this for because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul writing about us needing the armor. Hey, put on the whole armor of God because the devil is tricky and you need to remember who the enemy really is. That's verse 12. You need to remember who the enemy really is. Because often, your enemy is not who you think it is. We are not in a battle. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Do you know know what that means? That means my enemy is not another person. My enemy is not another human being. No, he lists it out. We, We are fighting against principalities. That is chief beings, ruling beings, demons in this world, or powers, masterful superhuman forces, or the rulers of the darkness of this world, satanic rulers of the shadiness of this culture, spiritual wickedness in high places, it's supernatural depravity and iniquity in celestial places. One author summarized it this way by saying it in these words, our contest is not with human foes alone, but with the rulers authorities and cosmic powers of this dark world. That is with the spiritual forces of evil challenging us in, a, in the heavenly contest. You know what Paul is helping us do in these, this simple verse? Hey, stay focused upon the right enemy. In this warfare, you're at war. You need his strength. You need his resources, but you also need him to help you stay focused. Focused on what? who the real enemy is. And Paul writes to the fact that this is definitely an army of demonic forces. The apostle John in the book of Revelation hints that one third of the angels fell when Satan rebelled. Daniel wrote that Satan's angels struggle against, or Satan's demons struggle against God's angels for the controls of the affairs of the nations. Hey, a spiritual battle is going on in this world in the sphere of heavenly places that you and I cannot see. And while the war is going on, we need to remember we are in the war. You are fighting, you are playing a part. And what Paul takes a minute to do is point out the fact that we need to realize that people are not our enemy. Unfortunately, you know what happens is many Christians are easily distracted from the real enemy. Can I break it down for us just for a minute? Just kind of hear it simply stated. That coworker who has a different political viewpoint, he is not your enemy. That family member who has an anti-God leaning, they are not your enemy. 
That person who continually gossips about you and talks bad about you is not the enemy. The young adult that is confused about gender issues is not the enemy. The crowd that thinks that uh, uh, certain things should be made legal that are against biblical principles, they are not the enemy. The enemy is not someone who votes differently than you. The enemy is not someone who sits across the table from you and gets frustrated at your viewpoints and says, I can't believe you would think that. That religion is just a crutch. I mean, you're just, and they're defaming you and degrading to you. Hey, they are not the enemy. I think that's one of the reasons that Paul put this in here because it's so easy to think that, isn't it? It's easy to think, man, it's just me versus the world. Oh, it's just us versus the world. Let me go a little further. Someone who believes different religiously, they are not the enemy. That cult that knocks on your door all the time, they're not the enemy. You understand what I'm saying this morning? The, uh, the terrorists that want to attack our country, they're not the enemy. Oh, now they're an enemy of America. But in this spiritual warfare... Do you know who's behind all of the sin and destruction? And you know who's behind all of the amendments that want to take away biblical principles? You want to know who is behind the attack against the word of God? Hey, it's not some person in Washington, D.C. No, 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 no. It is the enemy himself, the devil. And he will use cunning, crafty trickery to get into lives. And and I believe there are demon-possessed people that direct certain things. But you know who's behind it? The devil's behind it. So don't don't get your mind set. Don't allow the devil to trick you to think that, I mean, we're coming, we're just gonna go there. I'm going there. I'm sorry, we're going there. We're coming into a voting season. You wanna know what happens with a lot of Christians during voting season? We draw lines. And we draw lines in the workplace and we draw lines in the community and we have this mindset of, I am right. If you don't believe like me, you are wrong and you're an idiot. And we have this mindset and people talk to us and we're like, I can't, no, 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 that's, no, that's just, no. Hey, they arrived at their viewpoint because of their background, because of the influences in their life, because of situations that have brought them to the crossroads of their life that they are in. Do you know what they need to see? They need a Christian to say, so why do you think that? Why do you believe that? And they tell you and you say, oh man, you know what? I, I didn't know. I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know you thought that. I didn't know that that, I didn't know that that background, I didn't know that happened to you, whatever story it is. I, I didn't know that. And then you can say, well, could I tell you how I arrived at my, at my thought? If you've given them time to speak almost probably 80% of the time, they'll say, yeah, go ahead. And then you say, you know, I arrived, I, I used to think like that. If you did, if you used to think like that, you know, I, I had those thoughts before before I came to understand this, did you know that eternity is real? And then what are you able to do? Man, you're able to give them the gospel. I, you know, I, my, my mother-in-law, she has a great testimony. My mother and father-in-law growing up without Christ and not getting saved till later in life. And, and Terry, she loves to hear people's story. And then she'll say, you know, I used, to, I used to think just like that. But when I was, and she gives her age, when I was 19 years old or 20 years old, you know what happened? So when I was 20 years old, I realized that God loves me and God gave his life for me. And, and then she just turns it to the gospel. 
And I could take you to dozens of people up in Republic Washington that they have led to Christ just by simply sharing the testimony. But it started with a viewpoint conversation. Why? Because there's some Christians in this room and there's some Christians all around uh, even this city and this state. There's some believers that know that those people are not my enemy. And so this political season, don't get trapped don't get trapped in this mindset that I have, to, I have to be a Christian that is a jerk. Grace and truth, they go together. Hey, be the Christian that says, let's talk about it. Let, let's, let's have a conversation. Oh, hey, don't waver on truth. Oh, well, that's just your thought. You know, you can have your thought. You can be right. and you, That's okay, it's okay. No, no, no. Don't, I'm, I'm saying we stand with truth, but we give it with grace. Because what's the devil want? The devil wants you to put up these lines and cause a divide. The devil wants you to put up lines so much so that people say, you're a Christian? I don't want what you have. Man, I don't want to be that. I want to be the one that recognizes that, God, I, I can get easily distracted. And Lord, religion can distract. Politics can distract. Schedule can distract. God, all these things can distract me from who my real enemy is. You see, the devil loves to get us distracted and thinking that people and their viewpoints are the enemy, but people are not the enemy. Our enemy is unseen. And our enemy, he has different names because he is crafty and powerful. The word devil, it means accuser. You know what the devil does? He accuses you before God. Satan, it means great adversary because he is the adversary. He is the tempter, the murderer, the liar. He's compared to a lion, a serpent, a dragon, an angel of light, as well as the God of this world. And while he has different titles and different names, we need to remember that he is our true enemy. And all throughout the word of God, God reminds his children who the real enemy is. Because unless we know who the enemy is, where he is, and how he fights, we are going to be ineffective in this warfare. You know, we're sitting across the table from Paul. And he says, you know, I got something you need need to know. Here's what you need to know. You're at war. Spiritual war is going on. But you are weak and you, you can't fight this war. You're involved in it, but you can't do it. You need his strength. You're unequipped, you're unprepared, you don't have resources, but God has great resources. You get easily distracted. You can easily lose focus. But God, he can realign that focus every day to help you remember, they're not my enemy. The devil's my enemy. That's not my enemy. The devil is my enemy. I'll boil it down to one simple thought. Um, A few months ago, well, do you know that statement that sometimes your strength can also be your weakness? You know that statement people talk about, oh, that's my strength, but it's also my weakness. So a few months ago, we're not, we won't talk about it long, but a few months ago, we went through a series uh, and we talked about spiritual gifts in the church. What are spiritual gifts? It's simply a, a trait, a character trait that God brings into your life to help you serve through the local church. That's a, a, a spiritual gift. Well, one of my areas that God has, has put in my life that is, is a gifting, it's called the gift of administration. 
Now, what's that? The gift of administration, it's just, it's kind of leadership, but it's just being able to see a need and move forward. Like, hey, see the need, take the lead, let's go, let's get that done. And with my gift of administration comes that need to move forward, always be fixing things, always be giving advice. Ready? I should always, I'm always taking my phone out and these are my notes of things that need to be done. And I'm still scrolling. And this morning I added to it things that need to be done at church and things that I, I need to do personally. I'm always, that's, that's the way my brain works. It doesn't go, oh man, we had VBS Sunday. Let's celebrate that. It goes, cool, VBS Sunday's over. Let's move on. Let's go. We got, we got stuff to do. We got people to reach. Let's do it. Let's go. Need, 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 need. That can be a strength, but at times it can also be a weakness. And here's what I mean by that. And probably you fall in this category as well, even if you aren't an administrator. At times I can diagnose my situations and say, I know what I need. I know what I need. I need to, I need to buckle down. I need to get more serious. I need to, and I might have a, a list of things. Maybe you've said something like this, you know, I just need to change. I need to change. If I could change this one area, then I would be more effective for God. I just, I need to change. Maybe you thought, well, you know, I need, I, things aren't working out. I just need a new spouse. I need a new church. I just wish I had, and we, we have all of these times in our life when we come up with the solutions that we think we need. Now, I've never thought I need a new spouse, just so you know. <laughs> a couple of you looked at me like, wait, are we still talking about you? Or are we, what are we doing here? No, I'm just getting at this thought that sometimes we think that the solutions we need will really help us in life. Sometimes we have issues and we think that we need we need to just make it to vacation. I need to do better. I need to be better. I need more of this. I need more of that. But in reality, while many of those things could be true, maybe you do need to work at conquering that sin. Maybe you do need to get control over that area of your life. Maybe you do have some of those needs. But the fact of the matter is this, that we're in war and every day those things are not really what we need. They may be good things, but what Paul is getting at as we look at this idea of warfare is one simple thought. Every day, I need him. You're at war. You don't need a bunch of of solutions. You're at war. You don't need to try to figure everything out. You're at war. You need him today. Why? Because he will bring the solutions. He will bring the power. He will bring the strength. I, every day, I need him. This week, as you travel through your week, you need him. And that's a very simple thought, isn't it? Man, we come to church and just be like, all right, worship God. I get up here and just say, all right, you need God. Let's go home. And while it's a simple thought, be honest, if you've known Jesus for any length of time, how easy is it to forget? And we just get up. 
You know, tomorrow's Monday, you get up, you're just gonna get yourself ready for work, go through the day, get halfway through the day, eat lunch, do whatever after work, or you're a retiree, you're gonna get up and go to breakfast with some friends, go drink coffee, go back home, mow the lawn, work on a couple little things, and pretty soon, before we know it, we get to three o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon, and we think, man, I left God out of this day. Hey, you know what tomorrow you should do? Tomorrow I need to get up and open up the word of God. Say, God, I I need you today. Spend some time praying. God, I, I need you to direct me today. God, I need you. If you've noticed through our series, if you've been here for the, the book of Ephesians, you know what Paul has continually brought it back to? You need him. Follow him, imitate. You need him, follow him. Uh, you need him, be, allow his spirit to guide you, not other things. Hey, you need him in your marriage, love like him. You need him in parenting, lead like him. Man, that all of these thoughts, the whole book is Paul like, hey, now you have an incredible resource. Stop trying to live this life on your own. And so a simple thought today, we're at war. We think we are powerful. We think we're well-equipped. We think that we know who the enemy is, but we're wrong. We're powerless. He is strong. We're unequipped. He has all the resources. We're easily distracted. He can help us stay focused. You know what I need? I need him. So pastor, what's the decision we should make today? The decision every one of us, I think, should make today is this, that if, if you know Christ as your savior, the decision should be, God, I need you. I need you this week. God, I need you tomorrow. God, it's, it's not gonna be, all right, God, from here on out, I'm gonna recognize I need you. No, 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 let's just focus on today. God, today, would you help me to remember I need you? Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.